0: Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you today. appreciate those songs that Jacob has led us in. We talked about holy ground. We talked about higher ground. And we're going to be looking at some things from our Bible that are going to encourage us and help us. Get your Bible. We're going to look at two different places this morning in the last book, the book of Revelation. So I encourage you to get your Bible and be turning over to the book of Revelation. We'll begin there in just a moment. We are delighted to have everyone with us. We're thankful for our guests that are with us today. This is Memorial Day weekend. It's more than just a day off of school, a day off of work. It's more than cookouts. It's more than car races. It's about remembering those who paid the ultimate price. The soldiers who died fighting for our freedom. We are allowed to do what we're doing today because of some of that sacrifice. And that's something to remember. Uh, years ago, they used to call this Decoration Day. It's a time that a lot of folks visit the cemeteries. Debbie and I did that yesterday. We went to the cemetery where her grandparents were at, just to reflect and remember. And those are valuable, valuable things you do. But on Sunday, today, we remember somebody who paid the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice. And that's Jesus. Jesus died not to just give us freedom in the country, but he died to give us freedom from Satan. The greatest... Problem we have, the greatest fear we have is that of the devil. Well, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about identity. Today we're going to wrap this series up as we again return to this subject and talk about who I am, what am I doing here, and where am I going. Stories told of a little girl one day who went up to her dad. Her dad was in a chair reading a magazine and she said how is it all these 50 states work together in the united states and the father was annoyed and he didn't want to spend the time telling her why texas is so big and rhode island is so small and so in his magazine happened to be a picture of the united states so he tore it out and tore it in little pieces, and gave it to her, and said, now go to the kitchen table and work this like a puzzle, and you'll figure this out. And no time, she was right back, had it all taped together perfectly. He was amazed. How did you do this? And she said, well, on the other side of the page, there was a picture of Jesus. And when I got Jesus looking right, the country looked right. And there's some truth to that, isn't there? There's a lot of truth to that. And so when we talk about our series, we began by talking about discovering who I am in Christ. Last week, we talked about my purpose. My purpose is designed by Christ. And today, we're going to wrap this up by talking about my destiny is with Christ. God made us on purpose for a purpose. God made us in his image and God made us to spend forever with him. Those are basic understandings the Bible teaches over and over that helps us to understand this concept of simply who I am. Our identity is not something we, dis- by something we determine. It has been determined. It's been given to us by God. Genesis chapter 1 says he created them male and female. Not only that, but he gave a purpose for each person. Not only that, he determined what generation we will live in. That's all given by God. The idea that I'm specific, I'm identified, I'm made in Christ. The very concept we're looking at. And so in our series, we've been reminding ourselves that our identity identifies both who we are, our purpose and our value and our culture today has just lost that you know when i go to the amusement parks disney or any of the others, there's one ride my family knows do not ever put mr roger on those little teacups oh my goodness i will lose my lunch for four years ago when i go in those teacups you're coming out and everything's going like this On the outside and on the inside, everything's going like this. And it takes me a long time to recover from teacups. Now, the kids will do them. The grandkids will do them. But they all know, you sit here because I can't do that. And I think in a lot of ways, that's where our culture is today. Our culture is on teacups. And our culture doesn't know. And our culture is very confused about these things. Corporations and school systems are pressured to accept and promote the liberal theology of today. If one opposes... They're ridiculed, they're driven out as racists and as prejudice. Even in major churches today, the pressure to accept transgenderism is into their fellowship. Now, we've seen in the news lately there's been some pushback by consumers. But now listen to this. In Minnesota right now, we live in conservative Indiana currently, but in Minnesota right now, if you have a boy... And he goes to school and tells his teacher, I really think I'm a girl. The teacher will ask him, well, what name do you want to be called by? That's fine. He goes home and tells his parents, hey, I told my teacher I'm a girl. And the parent says, no, absolutely not. The boy goes to school the next day and says, my parents won't let me be a girl. Child protective services are called. And that child is removed from the home. That is currently in the state of Minnesota. And so when we think about this, this is not just a little bit political. This is not something, well, you know, I, I don't really see the value of this. This is a biblical topic that covers so many things that we need to see. God made us different. God made us distinct. God made us deliberate, uh, de- deliberate. And that concept helps us understand that. God is not confused with who you are. God knows who you are, and God made you for that particular purpose. So we begin today in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, let's look at the first six verses here. Revelation chapter 12, 1 through 6. It says, and again, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 thro- stars. Now, just, just hit the break a minute here, okay? As you read the book of Revelation, there's some things you have to understand. This is like a picture book. Those are the kind of books I read to my kids, okay? My wife has all the Harry Potter books, and, and that's, they're too long for me. I need one sentence in the picture. That's about the way I handle things. And, and that's the way this is written. So when we read this, don't get this idea that somehow there's this massive woman because she's so big that she's standing on the moon. No, this is all figurative. And it's, it's painting the picture for you. And she, verse 2, was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven, it says, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. That's who he's after. Whoever this baby is going to be, this dragon wants it. Verse five, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That is Jesus. And a woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, and there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. You jump down to the very last verse of this same chapter. It says in verse 17, So the dragon was enraged with a woman, went off to make war with the rest of her children and and those who keep the commandments of God and to hold the testimony of Jesus. This is where we begin our lesson today. Understanding that this dragon is the devil. Who's the devil after? Those who keep the commandments of God. You and me. And there's two thoughts that come out of this immediately. Number one, the devil is powerful. We remember as the Bible begins in the book of Genesis chapter 3, how he got Eve confused and deceived Eve. We remember in the book of Job that through the powers of Satan that all Job's livestock were stolen. A storm was created, killed all Job's children. The Bible shows us over and over the power of the devil. In in 2 Corinthians, it says, In whose case the God of this world, that's not Jehovah. He's talking about the devil there. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. What a powerful statement that is. Why is it people don't see things? Because they cannot see them because they're blinded by the the God of this world so that they may not see the light of the gospel, the glory who is the image of God. 2 Corinthians 11, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light. Peter tells us to be alert, be sober, because the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour the second thing this passage reminds us of is that as we are engaged in a war, the devil went off to make war. Now, you might think, well, I have no problems. I have no war. Well, yeah, you should, because the devil's after everything that's good. He's after your family. He's after your marriage. He's after this church. He's after your faith, and we see this again sprinkled throughout the scriptures we see this for instance in the book of ephesians chapter six for our struggles not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places in corinthians it says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus would say it this way in the book of Matthew brother "...will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents to cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but is the one who's endured to the end who will be saved." In John chapter 3, we remember that verse 16, God so loved passage. Right after that, this is what Jesus says. This is the judgment that the light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. Two times in the book of Timothy, at the beginning and at the end, Timothy is told to fight the good fight of faith. Now how we do this, is with the Word of God. How we do this is with truth. How we do this is not being rude. It's not being offensive. It's not spray-painting things on things we don't agree with, but it's by teaching the Word of God. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Let me give you an illustration of this. Acts, chapter 5. In Acts, chapter 5, we read verse 28 and verse 29. Acts, chapter 5, verse 28. There it says, verse 27, getting the sentence, it says, And when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The they is the apostles, Peter and John. And it says, And the high priest questioned them, verse 28, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name. And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than man. We told you to be quiet, and Peter says, we will not be quiet. Now, we're not going to get a fist fight about this. We're not going to go to the law about this. We're not going to get guns about this. But we stand for God. And then in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter also reminds us of our attitude and conduct with this. He says in verse 11, 1 Peter 2, verse 11, verse 12, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshy lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Don't get down in the mud with those who are in the mud. But understand... We're in a conflict. And so your option is either to fight or surrender, fight or be conquered, fight or be defeated, or fight or to lose. And to lose is to lose your soul. Now, the second Revelation passage is in chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. If you'll turn there with me. Again, we're going to be reading about the devil. Revelation chapter 20. Let's begin with verse 1. Revelation 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the keys of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now let's just stop there for a minute. Remember, Satan is a spirit. He's not physical. And so you can't take a real chain and chain up a spirit. Again, he's using figurative language you got a neighbor who's got a mean dog. He chains it to the tree. That's what he's talking about. And when he's chained to that tree, that dog can only go as far as the chain goes. He can't go past that. So the devil has been chained by God. That's the passage there. That's what it means by these things. It continues in verse 3. And threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him that he should not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. Once again... A lot of folks who read the book of Revelation says, oh, a thousand years, a thousand years. And see, Jesus died about when, so let's count the years. No. If it's actually a thousand years, it's going to be an actual chain. You see what I'm saying? You can't take one word and make that figurative and the rest of them are literal. He, again, is talking about a long period of time. We know no one in the Bible who lived to be a thousand years. A thousand years is a long time. You go to the doctor tomorrow, and the, and the receptionist comes out and says, um, we're a little bit behind on schedule. It'll be just a 1,000 years till the doctor gets you. Yeah, you go home, okay? That's a long time. Now, if he says it's going to be 10 minutes, okay, I can handle 10 minutes. If he says it's going to be 30 minutes, okay, I can handle 30 minutes. But if he says it's a 1,000 years, okay, that's all that means. It's a long, long time. Let's go back and read some more here. Revelation 20, verse 3. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now jump down to verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Who releases him is God. So in the great mysteries in the Bible, why did God do that? You already had him sealed up and chained. Why did you release him? We're not told for sure why. Understand, when Satan is released, he's not been reformed. He's not a better person. He's not changed. He's not good now. He is still after the people of God. A thousand years have passed, and nothing has changed. And so it says in verse 8, "...and he'll come out to deceive the nations." Which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. They came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints of the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, verse 10, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. We would say that's hell. Where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What's the point, Roger? The point is, God tells us there's a time coming when Satan will be released. Is it now? I don't know. But when he comes out, what's he going to do? He's going to deceive the nations. Now, this takes place before Jesus comes. And when you think about this, there are four deceptive tools that Satan has. Number one is to convince culture that's smarter than God. That's where we are today. You bring up the Bible and someone will just scoff at you. I can't believe you're reading from that old book. Don't you know that's just a book of of stories that people have put together? What he's going to do is try to deceive those in power, those that make policy and those that make products. Deceive them to go along that way. He's going to deceive those of influence because people follow the people of influence. And he's going to deceive those who educate because they will change the minds of those they teach. Again, we think about universities, we think about high schools, we think about the different levels into what this is coming about. Now, two things I want to say, and take this very carefully. We have school teachers among us. There may come a time when school teachers are going to realize, I can't do this anymore. What they expect me to teach, what the administration is pushing, does not go along with the Word of God. I've got to make up my own decision. I may have to find another job. Moms and dads... There may come a time when you realize we just can't do public school anymore. Either we're going to do private school or we're going to do homeschool. But when I send my child to school to learn mathematics, he comes home thinking he's a girl. And, and when I send him here to learn some things, he's learning culture, and it's my job to teach him the culture. It comes a time to realize we are in a war. And it's time we wake up about that and to realize that. Now, having said all that, I want us to go to Daniel, the book of Daniel. We're going to start in chapter 1, and then we're going to go to that famous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I think in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, what we read about is three men who understood their identity. They were people of God, and they understood that. And they got that idea very clearly. And so we begin in Daniel, chapter 1 where we see as the young men were taken from Judah to Babylon, Babylon had come and captured Judah, that the plan was to indoctrinate them. The plan was to change them. So verse 4, verse 5, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving the king's court. He ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Babylonians. You are not speaking Hebrew anymore. The king appointed for them daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed them that they should be educated three years and at the which time they would enter the king's personal service. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. That's how they were changed. And so what we see here is new names, a new language, new foods, and then a new way of worshiping. And through all of this, what he's trying to do was to change them. Now, turn a couple pages in your Bible to the third chapter. Let's begin by reading the first few verses. Then we'll get to the verses on the screen here. Daniel chapter 3, and let's begin with verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 3 verse 1, The king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits. That's about 90 feet tall. You can't miss this. It's massive. Its width was six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come up to the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4 Then they heard loudly proclaimed To you the command is given, O people, nations, and men of every language. At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psalter, the bagpipe, and all kinds of musical instruments, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Look at the outcome. Verse 1 and 2 talks about this massive, massive gathering. People of all nations, men of all languages, they were gathered there. Now, we've heard this story over and over. We've heard this in VBS. We hear this in youth devotionals. We hear this story a lot of times. We think, well, this is just a cute little story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. No. God wrote that for you. And God wrote that for me. And what they faced was a nation It was unlike the nation they believed in. What they found was how different this was. And what they realized was how difficult this was. They were away from home. They did not have mom and dad on the back tapping them on the shoulder. Remember boys, remember we stand. Remember Bible class. They were by themselves. This could be you in college. This could be you in the workplace. This could be you in the neighborhood. And what you have to realize is how difficult this was. And so we turn down to verse 13. We remember the story. All the instruments blew. It was impressive. It was loud. It was something that had all the elements that, that Satan would use to make you think it's right. This is expensive. We've got a crowd. This is loud. This is amazing. This is right. But it wasn't right. And so starting in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3, the Nebuchadnezzar in a rage and anger ordered to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these three men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Notice those pronouns. Not the the God of Babylon, my God not the statue that we set up i set up this is an offense against me personally now verse 15 if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn the flute the lyre the the lyre the trigon the psalter and the bagpipe and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image i've set up very well but if you do not worship You will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? You see that? I am greater than your God. I am greater than any God. I am Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he's saying. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, they remembered how God was with little baby Moses in the bulrushes. They remembered how God had helped Joseph when he was in prison. How God provided a sacrifice for Abraham. They had a history of knowledge with God. But even if God does not deliver us, verse 18, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your God or worship the golden image which you have set up. And what we notice here is three simple things. Number one, the king was very mad. We noticed the threats were very real. And we noticed the deception was strong your god is nothing compared to my fiery furnace and what we find here is that these three had absolute they were absolute in their conviction there's no wavering with them. they were confident in their faith and they were unwavering in their resolve they understood who they were they understood their identity they understood where they stood with god They did not mock the king, they did not call him names, they did not sugarcoat things, they did not seek a compromise, but what they did is they understood, we stand with God. Now before we go here, every one of us, if you're walking with Jesus, you have a fiery furnace. It may be the hallway of high school, it may be the next meeting you go to at work, and what you see is you feel like all the looks, all the pressures, all the whispers is directed towards you. The threat to report you, the threat to terminate you, the threat to ruin you. The fires at the furnace have never died down. They will never die down as long as light and darkness travel the same road. For some, the greatest challenge comes to be with their own family and the members of the family. Every child of God faces the temptation to compromise. Do what you have to do just to survive. Give in just a little. The three here in the book of Daniel could have reasoned we're not in Jerusalem, but that didn't do it for them. They could have said, well, you know what? God will understand, but that didn't do it for them. They might have thought, well, we don't have a choice, but that didn't stand with them. And we have to understand the same thing too. And what you notice, th- three or four things they understood. Number one, they knew that God was the only God. They already had their minds made up. You go back to Daniel chapter 1 look at verse 8. When the food is offered to Daniel, the Bible says Daniel made up his mind ahead of time. Daniel knew. This is why we preach the Bible in this place. This is why we have Bible classes that you need to attend so you will know. Well, Brother Shouse, I don't. there's a possibility God could have been in that statue. No, he's not. Don't cave into that. Don't listen to Satan deceive you. There's no way that could have been. They knew that. They knew scriptures. That's where we stand on. That's where faith is. Once you got that Bible in you, you have confidence. You have assurance. I know. Well, what well, don't you think? Don't you think there's a possibility that Jacob here could really be a woman trapped in the man's body? No, 110% no. Why? Because God said. God said. And once you know scriptures, everything else takes care of itself they knew this was wrong when I wrote this up this point bothered me because I wonder how many in this room could say that's wrong we live in a time today where no one can say anything's wrong oh I, I don't want to be judgmental I don't want to offend anybody now I can't do that myself but I'll never say that's wrong they knew that was wrong we are not bowing down period. Why not? Because that is wrong. And we need to have that conviction. And brethren, what happens is we get thrown in the fiery furnace because we haven't made up our minds. It bothers me immensely how much food Jason and I put on the table every single week. From blogs to podcasts to sermons to classes and then we have somebody come up, well brother Shouse, what do you think about this? Dude, we had sermons on that, but you don't come Sunday night. We have a whole class on that, but you don't come to my Bible class. And when something comes up, what's going to happen? Well, I don't know. They knew. They knew. The question is, do I know? They knew that they'd be noticed. No getting around that. You know what they could have done? When that trumpet blew... They could have been over and tied their shoes. We're really not bowing down, we're just tying our shoes. That's compromise. They could have said, Well, we're bowing down, but we're, while we're bowing, we're praying to God. That's compromising. They could have said, We're going to get that old football stance, you know, kind of like this. I'm not really bowing, but I'm, not re- I'm kind of like this. That's compromising. Y'all bowing? I'm standing. Yeah, I'm going to be noticed. And they knew that there'd be consequences. And so there is for us. Your family may not invite you to certain things anymore. Because we just can't get along with you. Maybe you have to find another job as hard as that is today. You may have to switch schools. You may have to move. But there are consequences. Because we are in a war. Satan is trying to deceive us. And then they understood that they would rather die than disappoint God. That's a radical, radical point. But every day there's a call to bow. Every day millions do. Blindly, ignorantly, thoughtlessly. Men who claim to be lovers of God. Men who walk in a church building on Sunday. They do not see the connection between what happens on Sunday and what happens on a Monday or Tuesday. They do not understand that faith isn't a Sunday thing. It's an everyday, everywhere concept. If faith doesn't work at work, it probably won't work at home. It won't work anywhere. Isn't it time that you and I stopped bowing? Isn't it time for us to dig in our hills and say to Satan, no. Isn't it time that we stand with God? Come what may, our allegiance is with God. It's not with a company. It's not with a town. It's not with a college. It's not even with this nation. We are citizens of heaven. We belong to heaven. It's to heaven that we go. So stand, stand for heaven. We will have our fiery furnaces. And it's not going to be easy for us. It's going to scare us. We fear what may happen. How will we get along if we lose our jobs? What will happen if they draw the line and say no? What well, if the family says you're no longer welcomed here? And they might. We stand or we bow. Now, biblical identity. We are created in the image of God. We are recreated in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. We have been adopted into the family of God. We imitate our Father, as 2 Corinthians, excuse me, Ephesians talks about, to imitate God in love. And then we long to spend forever with Him. That's that concept. Our destiny is with God. Throw in just a few verses on this. The Bible says in the book of Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Verse 23 But I'm hard pressed between both directions, having the desire to part, to be with Christ, for that is much better. One of the things I contradict when people pray, they always say, Lord, give Brother Roger a long life. I say, Don't answer that, Rod. Don't answer that, Lord. Don't answer that. I don't have any desire to live to be 100 years old. I have no desire to live 90 years old. I want to get out of this place, I want to go to heaven. I want to be where God's at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our, hev- with our dwelling from heaven. Again, he would say in the same context, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose. you see that? Why were you made? You were made for this very purpose to dwell with God. He created you in his image. He gave you a purpose and he has a destiny for you. Therefore, always being of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. What does it mean to be absent of the body? It means to die. I'd rather die and be with Jesus and be here can you say that jesus would say in my father's house are many dwelling places if or not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself that where i am there you may be also you see this sometimes in professional football you know what that guy's doing he doesn't have an earache no there's a receiver in his helmet and he's trying to listen to the coach and the coach is telling them a play. But all the fans are screaming loudly. And, and there's a lot of noise going on. But he needs to hear one voice. And what we're talking about today is who are you listening to? There's a lot of voices today. Who has your attention? Is it a culture deceived by Satan that's given up on God and his word? Or is it the God who made you? The God who loves you, the God who died for you, and the God who wants you to spend eternity with him forever. Who are you listening to? And so as we wrap up this series, discovering who I am in Christ. My purpose is designed by Christ. My destiny is with Christ. Discovering, design, destiny, in, by, with. Walking all my life with Jesus Christ. I want to end by reading you something. This is, this is kind of old. Some of you of my generation will remember Paul Harvey. He had a great radio broadcast. He used to say the rest of the story, is part of this thing. This is something he wrote 58 years ago, 1965. A lot of you in here were not even alive in 1965. But I want you to listen to this. Because you could think he wrote this last night. And he entitles this, If I Were the Devil. What would you do if you were the devil? This is what Paul Harvey said. If I were the devil, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate, four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, and that is you. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, The Bible's a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good, and what's good is square. It's really 1960s language. What good is good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, Our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make the lurid literature exciting so that everything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of discretion. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I would have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but to neglect to discipline emotions just let them run wild until before you knew it you have to drug you have drug sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door got some more here to read but this is 1965 you think about that within a decade i'd have prisons overflowing i'd have judges promoting pornography soon i could evict god from the courthouse then from the schoolhouse and then from the house of congress And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want until I killed the incentive for ambition. And what do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I'm cautioned against extremes and hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I'd convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned and swinging is more fun, that what, and that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public. I could lure you into the bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep on doing what I was doing. When I read this this week, I'd also put under here, I would deny who you are. I would confuse you. I'd make you hopeless and helpless. I'd make you lost. You see, the devil's powerful. We need to wake up and realize this. And when we do this series on identity, you need to see, I belong to Jesus. I need to hold my head up. And when somebody makes fun of that, I'm not going to bow down to them, and be afraid of that. When somebody says, well, everybody knows that's not true. No, God knows it's true. And stand where God stands. Don't be afraid of such things. And to realize how valuable it is, you, you are made in the image of God. And you are one that Jesus Christ came and died for. And you are one that God wants to spend forever with in heaven. The world won't give you that. The world will just say you're just a, a, a whole bunch of cells. It's just lucky your legs aren't where your ears are. There's no, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no purpose, there's no future, there's nothing. But God, who made you, what a difference that is. And so I hope this series has been helpful for you. I hope you can share some of these things. Now, you may get some people who don't like this, and you may get little conflicts with these things. It may be a fiery furnace for you, but you know what? We will not bow down. How powerful that statement is to each of us. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. Could it be you've drank in the Kool Aid of our culture today? That really doesn't matter. Could it be that you have swallowed the deception of the devil? That really, really, you can be anything you want to be. And so if you want to be a dog, get on the floor and walk. Because you can be a dog if you want to be a dog. Don't listen to such silliness. The God of heaven made you different, special, unique, headed somewhere. And that's what we need to do. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.